Welcome everyone to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest is John D'Angelo, Real Estate Solutions Leader at Deloitte. John joins Emerge CEO and Head of Research Daniel Fagella on today's program to discuss the challenges and trends in the real estate industry, highlighting the local knowledge heavy nature of the business. Throughout the episode, John emphasizes the true sources of friction to new technology adoption and the importance of storytelling in the sector. Later, the discussion delves into the leasing process, where AI can streamline the creation and understanding of complex leases, reducing labor and mitigating risks. Today's episode is sponsored by Deloitte, and without further ado, here's their conversation. So John, welcome to the program. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I do not know the last time we've covered AI in real estate on the show, John. It's been years, if anything, and I know time has gone by. There's new areas of innovation. There's Gen AI in the mix now. We've got a lot to unpack, but I want to open with context on the sector. Before you and I started rolling, you had mentioned uh, that real estate is a storytelling and local knowledge heavy industry and that there's certain challenges and trends that you're seeing now in that industry. Talk a little bit about, for the listeners about what that means, that storytelling thing, and then also what you're seeing in the space that's making people be open to new technology. Yeah, it's interesting, Dan. After having spent 35 years in the in the commercial real estate industry, um, I have watched it go from a very local business to a regional business to a national business to a global business. But the thing that hasn't changed about real estate is... Um, being late adopters to new technologies yeah. um, and, you know, sort of local market knowledge um, ruling the day. So, um, you know, it's not like there is a, a multiple listing service like there is in, in residential real estate for yeah. commercial real estate. So you can't go to a place and find kind of everything that's available or, or where there's vacant commercial spaces. You need to talk to people and those people are relying on it being, you know, relatively an opaque market. That hasn't changed. Yeah, and I guess when it comes to how that affects behavior, is that is that part and parcel of sort of the nascency or, or uh, slowness here in terms of new technology adoption? Like, well, I, I live in a world where I don't know what's five inches from my nose. You know, I don't know if investing in any platforms or something. Do you feel like that plays into it or is that a separate dynamic? No, listen, that's that's a part of it. The other part of it is, um, you know, kind of my knowledge of the marketplace that has been earned through, you know, sort of years of apprenticeship and experience is is part of my, my power. It's how yeah. it's always been done and it's how I understand what my worth is. Yeah, you, you sound like you're uh, speaking healthcare language and the doctors, you know, like, hey, I, I went into 200K of debt for this. Uh, there's no machine that could, I, I, am, I have self-interested reasons to think there's no machine that could do this. But I guess to your point, again, you go through kind of this guild process, it sort of feels like, hey, maybe this stuff can't be replaced. But there is this lurking sense, and I would concur with you. I mean, I think part of the reason, John, we haven't had that many real estate folks on the, on the show, this is not that many sellers uh, in terms of the vendor ecosystem of these solutions, at least on the pure tech side. You guys are obviously more on the services side. And it might just be because the cash pot's not as big as, let's say, a banking or insurance. But it's still a super important industry that's moving and defining the world. And it's also an industry where you kind of articulated before we started rolling, 
there's a sense that things have to change, that somebody's going to adopt technology. What, what kind of conversations have you had there around the expectations of like, maybe we can't stay the same forever? Yeah, Dan, I, I think I describe it often as sort of the monster in the closet that, that people are afraid of, that they're, that they're worried is there, but nobody wants to open up the closet and take a look and God forbid make eye contact with, you know, what would happen if we had greater transparency? The, the, all the things that, that I have uh, had to learn in a sort of a hard-fought apprenticeship uh, way, you know, building my instincts. What if those things are, aren't valuable anymore? And, and somebody who can really index in on data and, and technology and analytics can make better investing decisions than I can or it disintermediates me from the transaction process, depending on who you are. Um, that's what I think there is a level of, of unacknowledged fear or, or yeah. seldom acknowledged fear. But but it's pretty widespread. It's interesting when you talk to people, it's kind of like, God, I hope I can write out my career before that happens. But it's not like it's not going to happen. It's more like, um, well, hopefully, it, you know, it doesn't affect me. Yeah. Tough to uh, tough to cross your fingers or, or put put your head in the sand forever. We're, we're certainly here at Emerge. I mean, we're far from being dogmatic. Everybody should adopt AI in all directions as a, an approach. But I think the polar opposite is also extremely dangerous. There clearly is a middle ground around taking attack towards innovation. Uh, and interesting to hear this monster in the closet thing. We've seen other areas of FinServe start moving real estate, like thinking about it, but clearly the possibility space is still open. And I know that some of what for you makes you know that it's open is that there are particular use cases, workflows that to your point, were maybe a hundred percent instinct in one person's brain or two people's brain that are now becoming something that AI can augment, potentially make more reliable, potentially make more consistent uh, for the business. What are some of those use cases that for you, real estate leaders should should be noodling on here? Yeah, and and Dan, I'll tell you one thing that's encouraging to me is that there is, uh, you know, as, as it happens, the, sort of there is a uh, something of a leadership sea change. Uh, you know, of digital natives ascending into uh, leadership positions in real estate companies. And I think those, those things also bring the, the awareness or interest in the art of the possible to the industry. So, so that's encouraging. And the kinds of things that, that we see, you know, happening in other industries, it's, uh, it, there's a big piece of sales enablement of, you know, listen, it, like, how do I, if, if I'm going to make, uh, you know, if I'm a, a junior broker and I'm going to make 40 cold calls a day, how do I make sure I'm making the right 40 phone calls? And how can I leverage, you know, analytics uh, or AI to to identify the right people or the right kinds of properties or companies to be calling? I think there is a that 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 has been figured out in other industries. Yeah, it's a little more complicated in real estate, but you know, it's 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 sort of based on on trends, patterns you know, or, or information that's changed. There's no reason that can't come to real estate. Yeah. Well, let's, and let's unpack this one. I mean, I, I can concur. We've, we've talked to the sales forces of the world and the chorus AIs before they got bought. And there's a whole ecosystem of the sales enablement AI space. Many of the founders of outreach.io's founder, all these unicorns. Um, there's, there's approaches and people rolling in data in different different ways to be able to make these priority decisions. When you mention that there's, you know, it's a little bit more complicated in real estate, what are the particular factors for you that that are more unique? Is it the fact that it's so low volume, high price, and so the, the frequencies are, are less and that's harder to predict? Like, what are the challenges that that you see in that space? 
Well, so that's certainly one of them, right? It, it is a, as you point out, it is lower volume transactions at a higher, particularly in, in commercial real estate, lower volumes of transactions at a higher ticket price. That's also the things that are getting transacted are in a lot of ways fingerprints, right? They're not like one, if you've seen one commercial property, you've seen one commercial property. <laughs> so, so I can't sort of extrapolate the things that made that property transactable to a whole marketplace or to that kind of property across marketplaces. Yeah. Um, I've got to know more about it. I've got to know, you know, how long did somebody hold it? What was their, what did they buy it for? How much debt did they have on it? Did they have, you know, leases that, that were recently signed or that are coming due in the next year? All those things contribute to, you know, what makes a, a building transactable or transacted. Yeah. And I, I guess, well, I'm thinking this out loud a little bit, John. Are there, you know, some of these factors like, oh, well, you know, I see a listing, I see a price. Hey, that's not enough. Well, in, in very few industries is like product and price or whatever it is, you know, enough, quote unquote. There's, there's always myriad factors. In existing CRMs, are people already looking at how long was it before it was sold last or who was the owner or are, are these factors already collected or is there a lot more collecting to be done? So there, they are collected. The, the, the challenge is if you look at the so big commercial brokerage, if you, if you looked at concentric circles of, of the information that they touch on a, on a daily basis, it's like the size of the universe. <laughs> and then the, the information that is actually collected and formalized in systems is is like the size of the earth and then the data that is you know sort of connected across what's what's uh, collected you know is like the size of of california and then and then how much of that is leveraged you know is uh you know santa monica <laughs> um so the the if, if if they could it's just there's so much so storytelling and heuristics in the in the details of a transaction that's in people's heads there is some of that that's collected in formal systems, but it's a fraction of the of the whole story of who the buyer was, who the seller was, how many other sellers were in the marketplace, how close they came, you know, in their bid. It, you know, it, it, and, and, and that's the the difference between well, that building transaction at that dollar because there was somebody who who had the money and really wanted to be in that kind of property in that location, so all it took was one, uh, or there were 15 people and you know the 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 top 10 were all within 5% of of bids that like that, that rich information yeah tends to be in in people's heads yeah well i i guess it sounds like there's two things come to mind john i'd love your thoughts on this cuz i really want real estate leaders to i guess think about the variables and the factors that are going to unlock the value here there is value in revenue oriented activities but to your point we also have to get past complexities. On the one hand, I wonder, eventually, might we as companies start tracking more of these rich factors? Maybe not all of them, but more of them. A second thing that comes to mind is an analogy, and I want to bounce this off of you, John. The analogy is in sort of the, the space of trading. So, you know, I, right before COVID, I was up in, uh, we had a, uh, one of our guests was pretty high up in, in sort of wealth management at Citibank, brought me up to the trading floor, kind of got to see what some of the guys are doing up there. And they're really not saying, oh, well, AI has shown a correlation between these things, so I guess I'm going to buy. It wasn't really like that. It was more of, um, okay, 
there's a million factors, and I as a human can't input a million factors into my dashboard, but there's a couple moving elements that let me know where my attention should be for this morning, and maybe some of the decisions I might want to bias towards. So maybe it's not making the decision, but instead of saying as a real estate person, I could call everybody, give me the top quartile, then let me think. Like, what are your thoughts about that? So a couple of things to unpack there, Dan. I think that's uh, like working backwards. I think that's exactly it. It's, it's not that... But, um, so AI and analytics prescribes an, an answer. Um, I think what it does, and this is sort of classic of of how you know sort of people and and, uh, and and analytics live together. The analytics helps point you to something interesting or or what looks like an opportunity, and and the people figure out what to do from there. Yeah. So it gives you a weak signal or a strong signal. And, and then, you know, humans are, are it's, it's great. It, it helps us spend more time doing what we're good at, which is, you know, understanding potential action or validating what I see, or even if it's, even if it seems um, absurd, hopefully it makes a person think about why, why am I, why is this getting pointed out to me? Um, and I think therein lies the opportunity. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh to your point here, in terms of sales, probably not going to get the whole sales job done for you. Maybe not even going to build your whole tick list for the day. But if it can keep your attention focused in the realms where value is more likely to be had, great. A better a better use of your day. A couple a couple less you know human elements for you to have to spin your cycles on. And there's so many other areas of decision support. I know you'd even talked about site selection is a big deal, and you brought up a really great point pre-recording where you said in real estate, we make decisions that are hard to undo. And it was like, well, yeah, I guess if you're building a gigantic office complex, it's very, very hard to go backwards and go move it to another state or to another zip code. So there's a lot of pressure in making these decisions right. Where does AI potentially fit into the mix for something as important as site selection? Yeah. So I think that's a, that's a really interesting thing. And it's a captivating use case of um, you know, what if I could um, reduce my investment thesis to um, an algorithm and look for sort of trends and patterns um, in, in data that help me, that, that help point me to places that I'm, that, that weren't on my radar. There's a, there's something that, that I hear often from the big real estate investors, which is, well, help me find the next Nashville. Um, and, and if you unpack sort of what happened in Nashville, you know, it's a big healthcare center. Who knew, right? And, and and it being a big healthcare center or creating a bunch of healthcare jobs brought in, you know, growth in, in housing and multifamily and retail. And and sure, there were there were things that, you know, in hindsight, um, you could look out for that that predicted Nashville was going to grow in the way that it did. But that's effectively what the question is, is is how can I look at, you know, enormous um, sets of data that help me with you know, sort of what kinds of jobs are getting created in a marketplace that that present a, a weak signal to me that that um, if I'm paying attention, make me ask a bunch of other questions. And and yeah, Dan, that's the thing, right? Real estate is, you know, particularly commercial real estate. There, it's it, it, it you can't just like lift it up and move it someplace else. Yeah. So, um, you know, like understanding, particularly now, there's there's just you know, it, it was happening pre-pandemic, but post-pandemic, there's so much. Um, you know, kind of uncertainty about the dust settling, about, you know, where people move to and are they going to stay there? And if they are, what are they going to need from, you know, the built environment? Yeah. And I, I, uh, I, you brought up this idea of 
show me the next Nashville. I, I, I wasn't even thinking at that level of abstraction, but now I'm kind of starting to track with you in terms of the, the magnitude of the discussions that real estate folks have to have. Um, because yeah, you build the wrong building in the wrong place and it's not occupied. That's a, that's a tough game. That's a really, really tough game to play. Um, and hard to undo. Oh, really tough to undo. Yeah. So, um, with that said, you know, we can't unpack all this in the podcast, but I, I think for the listeners and, and for real estate leaders, it's interesting to note, like, what what are these folks thinking about in terms of sniffing out those areas of growth? I, I almost see this right back to the wealth management example where I've got, you know, population growth and shrinkage, you know, basic stuff. I, maybe I've got satellite imagery of... uh commercial versus residential buildings within specific zip codes. I got percentages that are altering over time. That might be a factor I look at. I might look at density of jobs in certain sectors, for example. And I might be, you know, just manually having an intern put this stuff into a spreadsheet and then, you know, weighing, you know, uh, I don't know, Travis Heights outside of Austin compared to, you know, whatever else somewhere in Houston or something like that. Um, is this the kind of things that real estate folks think about for site selection, or maybe you could enlighten yeah. us as to, to the deeper factors that might factor in. Yeah. So if, if you're, if you're thinking about the, um, you know, how do I bring in like big data sets? How do I bring in a bunch of different factors and, and, and help it, uh, use it to, to help me, uh, understand what it means, uh, you know, or, or kind of light up dots on the map. That's exactly what we're talking about. So it's, you know, where do I, in a sort of satellite imagery, you know, where can I look to see empty parking lots or full parking lots yeah. um, that, that give me a sort of a sense of, and, and how is that, how is it changing, right? So how's that trending over time? It, it gives me part of a signal about what's happening. I overlay that on top of demographic data, you know, or, or migration data, or again, you know, my, maybe my investment thesis is, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for, uh, you know, new, new barista jobs created someplace yeah. right? that, that, that helped me with, you know, a neighborhood's looking like it is interesting for walkability and mixed use and attractiveness. It's things like that. And, and, and I think the, the particularly interesting thing is, you know, our, our real estate developer clients, it's not like they've all got the same thesis. <laughs> um, so, you know, really sort of tuning the data and the analytics to your, to your investment thesis, understanding sort of what to look for. The, the more we see clients experiment with that, the more encouraging it is. Yeah. Um, is it all still spreadsheets? Is it all still, you know, get the intern to, you know, pull it out of the internet and put it into Excel for me? It, it has been for a really long time, Dan. Okay. Um, uh, although I'll tell you that um, I talked about digital native um, earlier ascending into positions of power um, or, you know. Yes, yes, yes. Leadership positions. Yep, yep. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I think the, uh, the, the days of, of re-keying things from one spreadsheet to another and doing the heavy lifting are, uh, I think those days are, are numbered because, you know, not because you, you can't do it, but because, um, you know, increasingly digital natives are just rejecting that way of working. And, and, and they're not rejecting the industry, but if, if they come into our industry and we like, make them rekey something from one spreadsheet to another, and it's just mind numbing work. They'll go find something else. Yeah. Um, because it's not, it's, it's, it's just that uh, it, they were raised in a, in a different you know, digital world. Yeah. And thank goodness. 
Um, right. Yeah, <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, that's it's got to change at some point. So I, I see two. I see that core analogy of decision support between something as big as site selection and as small as where do I spend the next two hours doing calls. And and I know there's other elements here too. You and I haven't touched yet on Gen AI. You've done some thinking here though, and. We're seeing the Gen AI legal crossover. I know contracts, contract due diligence for you is interesting. Mention a little bit of what you see as the low-hanging fruit possibility space there, because I bet some of the C-suites are already wondering where Gen AI fits in, and this could be fun to unpack. Well, particularly if you look at, at real estate outside of, you know, kind of apartments, multifamily. Um, you know, in multifamily, for the most part, those those leases are pretty standard. Um, but the minute you you leave... Um, multifamily, say retail or, or office leases, you know, particularly with, with bigger tenants, it, you know, it's sure you'll, you know, one company will start on, on, on their paper or the other party's paper, but you, you get a lot of, uh, of unique language, uh, and unique leases that have, have heretofore, it's just been a lot of heavy lifting, um, between two legal departments to, to figure it out. And I think the thing that we see promise in, for Gen AI around the leasing process is, is understanding, you know, what have I agreed to for this kind of a clause across, you know, a huge set of leases, whether it's standardized on my paper or somebody else's paper, and, and really understanding kind of what, you know, what I've agreed to and what that language looks like, um, or, or particularizing it to working with a, you know, sort of a given tenant, uh, understanding, you know, what we've agreed to and what they've agreed to quickly. Um, is a it, it maybe it sounds mundane, um, but but it could speed up the the leasing process itself and the amount of labor that goes into every single lease document yeah. in a big way. And it's just a classic use of of generative AI. Yeah. Uh, and so with the quantifiable here, you know, we we think a lot about workflow impact and ROI impact. When you think about this, is is there pri- is this primarily an efficiency play of how much time is spent? creating and updating uh, legal documents, maybe even, you know, uh, assessing and deciding if we want to agree to legal documents? Is, is that the primary sort of ROI knob we're twisting here? Actually, I think there's probably two different, maybe there's even three different knobs. So one of them is certainly just the, like, how much labor does it take me to get to an agreement? Um, so just like shaving labor out of that process. I think another one is taking risk out of the process. So, um, you know, just by understanding what we've agreed to or what we've agreed to with the counterparty. So, you know, like where's the where's the risk bar in, in a given clause or a given kind of lease um, in a way that is practical now versus having to, to read through, you know, hundreds of leases. Um, and the third thing that, that has to do with revenue is, you know, sort of maybe optimizing um, you know, what I'm asking for based on, on swaths of data in, in a marketplace. So I've got, I've got a sense of, you know, what I've agreed to or what I think market is. But if I could, you know, peel that back to look at, at, at sort of price points or, or deal points, uh, on a, on a bigger set of data, then I'm, I'm better able to price a given, you know, lease or amenity, um, based on who I'm talking to. So there's actually revenue huh. optimization that, that's a potential component. Huh. Okay. Got it. Do you foresee a world in terms of what the next phase forward might be here where I, as a real estate firm, I've trained this system on all the various and sundry types of commercial leases I have. I have some new, you know, maybe it's something big and complex. You know, I'm building like a 
uh, a marine dock somewhere or some big marine facility uh, is something very interesting and, and kind of complicated. I want to make sure I have the clauses that have normally been relevant for these kinds of maybe environmental risks or, or building considerations. I want to have, you know, I, I want to maybe exclude certain kind of clauses that either aren't relevant or aren't advantageous for my business based on these things. And maybe I, I set a couple different, you know, settings within my uh, contract generator. I say, well, it's this kind of situation. It's this, 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 this. Give me a draft one and then boom. And now maybe uh, 80% of my lifting is sort of done. Is this the idea? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then somebody who, um, is great at this, you know, a, a, a contract attorney or, a, you know, leasing attorney is going to make sure it makes sense. <laughs> so, yes, of course. You know, Human it's, beings. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Does, does, does this baseline make sense? But they're not doing the heavy lifting of a, of a ton of research and, and combining that into all the things you just rattled off. Right. So they get to start at, you know, 80, 90% uh, good draft. And I almost imagine a bit of an arms race. I, I talk, I've jested, and I really need to write the article at some point, this idea of the arms race of everything. Because I see a world where AI can increasingly answer all the customer service questions. And maybe, John, becomes such a good negotiator that it gives away way less refunds and all kinds of other things. Similarly, I can imagine an AI for a user that calls the call center on the on the behalf of the user and negotiates with the agent or whatever. In, in this contract case, to bring it back to real estate, I see a world where this really does become the norm for real estate contract creation. Nobody's going to heavy lift the first freaking paragraph. It's just ridiculous. We're gonna we're gonna conjure something that's going to be fitted to purpose. But I also see the other party who's got to sign this as having a way to both analyze and make suggested annotations. And I see this maybe spinning into, you know, two humans really wielding these these big, uh, you know, AI machines behind them to, to, to sort of get to a level of abstraction that sort of maybe fights for both of them. Do you see this on, on both sides of the fence when it comes to, to AI's potential? Absolutely. And that's that's the that's exactly the the dynamic of of signing a, a lease, right? I've got, yeah, yeah. I've got to, to people, I mean, and there's there's asymmetry there, depending on sort of size and sophistication of, uh, you know, the the lessor um, and the lessee, um, or there can be asymmetries. But you know, if you if you look at kind of big national, um, you know, commercial real estate owner operators with big national tenants, yeah, it's probably it's probably arms race is not a, a terrible way to think about it. Uh-huh. Uh so well if we're if we're headed into that kind of a quote unquote arms race, it seems to make some sense to maybe be thinking about where your own arms are. And I don't think it'll be terribly long until some of these things start to make their themselves uh become a little bit more normal within the real estate space. Anything else for you, John, either adding to the contract uh touch point or just other kind of closing notes for leaders who are looking at the possibility space. Maybe their minds have been opened by this interview. They've been researching. They're getting pressure from the board to think about where they're leveraging it. They're a little nervous about the startup ecosystem. Any kind of parting notes for real estate leaders in the market? Yeah, so this is a little, um, if this sounds mom and apple pie or common sense, it probably is, but but it's worth talking about, Dan. And that is, you know, particularly for leaders of real estate companies, I think it's really important to look at um, at the work that takes an awful lot of, of human touch today um, and think about why that is. <laughs> um, mm. Because that, that's pretty fertile ground for, you know, not just what could be automated, but, um, you know, maybe where 
does analytics and, uh, you know, in particular generative AI come into play? You know, I think about the, the work of, of an asset manager, uh, for, you know, sort of a big real estate investment manager. Their job is to maximize value of individual assets and they could have, you know, depending on the kinds of assets they look over, they could have 20 assets. They could have 30 assets that they have to think about every single month. You know, but what if, what if analytics, um, and, and AI can help direct where they spend their time? So, you know, that happens today through instincts and it happens through gathering of information. It happens through storytelling. But, but what if AI could help with, um, you know, you don't need to, this asset's fine. You don't need to worry yeah. about it. It's okay. But this one over here is raising its hand, telling you it's in trouble and you're not, you're not seeing it. Yeah. Go spend your time there. If, if, if I could, if I could point my asset managers to where their time is best spent, imagine what that does to value creation. Yeah. So uh, it sounds like, well, the, the, to what you're articulating, kind of bringing us back to the beginning of your interview. A lot of this industry is just instincts, and I'm sure trading was all instincts at some point. Uh, I'm sure that you know even predictive maintenance of heavy machinery was all instincts. Well, there's one guy in the shop that kind of knows that when it makes a certain kind of clicking noise, we might want to fix it. That might not be good enough. We might want to be pulling data off of these machines and repairing these things before they break down, and maybe we need to do the same thing in real estate. So you're saying from a meta level of just where we're applying focus, we might want to have our data streams informing where our biggest brains are are putting their 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 attention. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. And sorry, you you, you brought up something. I just want to poke into it quickly. We're wrapping it. up, but but there's an interesting overlap between you know kind of the the uh, the big piece of equipment that um, you know is is if you if you know how to listen, it's telling you it needs help. Yeah. Um, it's like. There's, there's a trend or pattern that's happened. And, and I, you know, these giant, so big IoT data streams, um, and, and the intersection of IoT data streams and, um, and, and predictive analytics or, or AI, um, it, it holds this great promise of, of making our buildings more comfortable and more reliable and using less energy. I think that's a, it's like this fascinating place of not just kind of humans and their decision making. But, but also sort of the, um, you know, how does a, how do we make buildings sort of run better? Um, and I think there's a big promise there. Yeah. Uh, probably there will be a, a, enough within 18 months to write a whole book on the topic, John. But I feel like right now that book is being written and probably being written yeah. by some of the people who are tuned in right now and listening in on this episode. So uh, I hope that they've gotten to learn a little bit from some of your insights. I know that that's where all we have for time, but John, this has been a great episode. Thank you so much for being able to join us. Thanks for the time, Dan. It was a pleasure talking to you. As we conclude today's discussion, Daniel and John have unraveled the intricacies of the real estate landscape. The challenges and trends underscore the need for adoption. John's emphasis on storytelling in the slow embrace of technology paints a vivid picture of an industry at a crossroads right now with AI technologies. In navigating this evolving terrain, AI emerges as that powerful ally, particularly in sales enablement and site selection. The transformative potential in leases and decision-making 
becoming as vast, yet the industry is hesitating. The quote-unquote arms race in AI adoption signals a shift with digital natives and changing leadership dynamics at its core. That's just a brief summary. On behalf of Daniel Fagella, our CEO and head of research, whom you heard on today's show, and the entire team here at Emerge Technology Research, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI in Business podcast.